Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Mack Weldon. Whatever you're wearing right now, Mack Weldon is better. Mack Weldon is a men's essentials brand that believes in smart design, premium fabrics, and a simple shopping experience. I love my shopping experience on Mack Weldon. This is where I go. It's my go-to spot for t-shirts. I've talked about this before. Mack Weldon has so many different kinds of men's products from underwear to socks to t-shirts, but I love the t-shirts specifically. And the shopping experience is super easy. They even have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate odor and they want you to be comfortable. So if you don't like your first pair, you can keep it and they will still refund you, no questions asked. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off using promo code WATCH. Today's episode of The Watch is also brought to you by Hotel Tonight. It's time to talk about the homies. Hotel Tonight partners with awesome hotels to help them sell their unsold rooms, which means you get amazing deals. All it takes is 10 seconds, just three taps and a swipe to book. No long, endless lists of a zillion hotel choices. Hotel Tonight only shows you the best deals at the best hotels, perfect for whether you're a planner or like to leave things to the very last minute. With Hotel Tonight's HT Perks program, the more you book, the better the deals get. So start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels and download the Hotel Tonight app now. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am the editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio wearing a phantom of the opera mask and ringing the Liberty yes. Bell, it's Andy Greenwald! We're back. One, two, three, four, five, sixes! Yes! We're back. Yeah, no you, shit. You have some of that hometown <laughs> pride in you. Blood type yingling. Wow. What's going on? Welcome back. I, I know you tried to replace me. You always do that with like the like, basically superstar guest host bit. Because who else could possibly come close to replacing nice. you? I was hoping you would say something like that. Our friend Jake Johnson, big fan of you. <laughs> Is he? I mean, when you're not here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he likes you from a distance. Andy, uh, it is Monday. It is The Watch. We are back. And we got to get to the news that everybody's talking about. Yes, sure. Um, as some of you guys may have seen, mm -hmm. the USA Network announced some pilots that they are making. That's true. And the one that clearly uh, affects the watch the most is Treadstone. I agree. <laughs> I agree a thousand percent. I agreed when I learned the Your news boy, myself. Your boy, Tim Kring, yeah. is making the Jason Bourne Extended Universe show. It's what we've dreamed of. Now, we literally willed this into existence. I know. And let me tell you, the irony of my slightly smaller dream coming true, concurrent with the Is larger... Scott Kingery getting to start at shortstop over J.P. Crawford? That's my number three dream. <laughs> okay. My number two dream was our friend of the pod, Megan Abbott, getting to make Dare yes, Me for USA. shout out to Megan Abbott. Uh, but above all of that was the fact that there's going to be a Bourne show. <laughs> like, let's really not... That, that is the lead. And I should also say another friend of the pod... Uh, and my executive producer, Sam Esmail, mm -hmm. from my show, also feels You this don't way. give it away. I'm trying to, then I come in and I say, Andy, of course, no, no, that's I, not the only news. The biggest news. It's it, not bigger than Treadstone. No, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. Andy has his own pilot on the mm -hmm. USA Network. It's called Briar Patch. That's right. Applaud that in the back. Thanks, crew. Uh, Andy's got a pilot, Briar Patch. It's based on a novel by, I think, collectively our favorite novelist, probably yeah. between the two of us, Ross you, Thomas. You've been digging in the stacks recently, you told Dude, me. well, this is what I want to talk to you yes. about, is that I'm so excited for you, first Thank of you. all. Um, genuinely happy. Thank you. Uh, plotting your downfall. Sure. Definitely, like, 
dropping breadcrumbs to Deadline, to the yeah. reporter, wherever I can about some of your uh, crippling habits. My that eccentricities might... <laughs> in the workplace. Yeah, your inability to get bonded. <laughs> yeah, these are all valid concerns. But um, tell people what it was about yeah. Briar Patch specifically. Right. Tell them a little bit about the thing, but like, I want to know what it was about. You're reading this book and you're like, I, I, I can do this. Yeah, so we, and I think you want to have a larger conversation about Ross Thomas. Not is, really, is my no, favorite I just want to move on. <laughs> or as Deadline called him, Ross Tom. Oh, yeah? Shouts to Deadline's copy editing team. Um, yeah, so my favorite writer by far and wrote 25 books over his writing career, which spanned from the 60s to the mid-90s. Briar Patch is kind of an outlier though, because a lot of the things that I love about his books, it's... It, a lot of the things I love about his books, like a globe-trotting plot, like a lot of banter and um, day drinking, day drinking. Yeah, Briarpatch doesn't have all of those things. Briarpatch is, in many ways, the most straightforward of his books. It's much more hard-boiled. Did that jump out at you at first? Noir. Yeah, and I think the thing about it is that because it was such a standalone, I felt like it was a really great um, skeleton, basically, to mm -hmm. build a story on and to change, which I did as well. Um, so yeah, it's felt like something that was very, very solid to base something on. It's a story in the book. It's about a guy named Ben Dill who wakes up on the morning of his 38th birthday in Washington, D.C., where he works as an investigator for the Senate to find out that his sister, who's 10 years younger, same birthday, is a police detective in the hometown where they grew up, and she's just been blown up in a car bomb. And he goes back to this town to find out what's going on. In I've uh, gender swapped the lead, so it's a woman finding out her sister has been right. murdered and brought it up into the present day and changed a couple other details. So you get, but you get, you get text messaging. I got text. There is text messaging yeah. in the pilot. Yeah. I mean, why not? There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of Twitch. There's yeah. a lot of Overwatch. Yeah. Um, a lot of memes. Yeah. Because I want to communicate with children. Think like about the kids. it. Think about a meme is yeah. big on this show. Um, but yeah, it felt like a, it's just a classic setup. Someone goes back to a, 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 a corrupt hometown and sees what's what. So okay. that's why it stood out. It, it also, it felt more straightforward and pliable. Tell me a little bit about Jan. Because I, one of the things we always talk about is like this partnership that happens usually between yeah. writers and directors. Obviously, Sam's like kind of an outlier in that he writes and directs yes. pretty much everything he does, yes. especially the last the last season of Robot, right? And the next next season yes. of Robot. But there's always this partnership. Are we looking at the next Nick Piz, Carrie Fukunaga team here? <laughs> that is a spicy question. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, Dimash, I'm, I'm super into this guy. I love I love so, 71. Was that, yeah. uh, uh, 71, uh, the director is, it's Yan Dimanche. Sorry. That's okay. But I don't want to get in bad blood with him already. He's a terrific director. He made this film called 71 about the Troubles. Yeah, with Belfast. Jack O'Connell, yeah. Um, highly recommend it. He's an incredibly talented director. He also has worked in TV, worked with Charlie Brooker mm -hmm. on um, a show called Dead Set. Mm -hmm. He also uh, directed a lot of the f uh, first season of a show called Top Boy. That yes. is kind of like a British The Wire. It's on Netflix. People now. are talking about that. Highly recommended. Yeah. Uh, Letitia Wright, who plays Shuri in Black Panther, her first uh, acting professional acting job was at that show. Uh, Drake is rebooting it for Netflix. Um, and so the original is on Netflix, and now Drake is, is rebooting making it. a new season of it. Yeah, right. but this one is just about people giving groceries to other people. He, he that's, yes. How did you know? <laughs> He's an incredibly talented director, and he was really he got the script, and I'm very excited. Um, because he uses words like color palette. Yeah, because that's I what I was going to ask. Like that. That I think that of the two, like, you, you, you see things from a writing structure, how do I take yes. apart the clock and put it back together kind right. of story way. And I think that I was curious about what it was like to talk to somebody who probably is thinking about things purely in visual terms, purely in yeah. how is this going to work? How am I going to block this? How am I going to stage this? What's going to be the tone? Yes. And how much, you know, because Ross Thomas 
And I want to talk about this more because we're going to talk a little bit about Killing Eve a little later in the podcast, yeah. and I've been thinking a lot about this. But Ross Thomas is, for all the different things that you can celebrate about him, the exact tone that he hits, mm-hmm. which is somewhere between there are these horrifying things that are sometimes happening in his books, but the characters are all kind of at this slight two martini glaze removed. Yes. Um, that is not unlike Elmore Leonard. I mean, you can see that there is, it's 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 a, it's a bit you can do within crime fiction to kind of have your characters always be the smartest people in the room, mm-hmm. except for when people are doing things to them. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wondered about how Yan and you were ta- talking about this. Well, that's the, that's the key question. That's the key question for the whole project because, um, and this is, by the way, I'm, thank, I'm so happy to be talking about this. You know this has been brewing for a really long time. I, I, it's the first I heard of it. Um, <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't really respond to texts. Um, the first thing that happened, I mean, when Sam read the script quite some time ago uh, when I wrote it, his response was, uh, this is supposed to be funny, right? Mm-hmm. And the answer was, sure. No, it, it is. It, it is a tightrope tone that is, exists in the book. And one of the appealing things about the book is that it's fun, even though it can also be sometimes um, uh, tense or thrilling or even upsetting. But there is a sense of competence in these characters and just core abilities that makes it really, really entertaining to, to, to read along with and to be in their world. It's different on film. And the language that you use to describe what you want has to be different. And yeah. one of the things that was interesting in the conversations with Yan when we were talking to different directors about who is the right person to do the pilot was the references he made. And I think this is how directors talk um, is were correct. The reference one of the first things he mentioned in our conversation, uh, we were skyping with him and uh, Sam and I were skyping with him was Blood Simple mm-hmm. by the Coen Brothers and. It is way too premature to suggest that anything we make will be in the league of that film. But that is an example of a movie that is noir, that has crime, that so has So my violence. blog headline is Greenwald claims to dunk all over yeah. Blood Simple with yeah. unfilmed pilot. Cohen, who, <laughs> Cohen Brothers who? Yeah. Says minor podcaster <laughs> and reformed television critic. Um, but that's how they, that's, it's interesting to be around directors now they speak about things and how they're going to be able to manage that tightrope, you know? And I think that um, that's the, that's the collaboration. That's what's going to be interesting about it. But it, it does help, of course, to have a director and Sam overseeing the project because he, he speaks both languages. Let me ask you this. Yeah. You mentioned being a, tele- a reformed television critic. Yeah. Did the voice ever come up when you're writing? Did the TV, did, did, did you find it easy to go through and just be like, I'm just going to write this, you know, I'm going to adapt this novel that I love. Mm-hmm. It's going to be, I think and it's fair to say that that was sort of an exercise for you, right? It That's was right. sort of like you were trying out yeah. how to do this, this kind of thing. And I was wondering if at any point in the writing process, did the critic part of your brain ever have any influence over what you were writing or even kind of inhibit you at all? Or did you ever have to like kick that guy out of your brain? When I got to page eight and I wrote a scene where my lead character looked in the mirror and said, you're not a bad woman. <laughs> you um, just did a bad thing. Uh, you just did a bad thing. I was like, mm, but I went with it. No, I, uh, I mean, personally, I can't fucking believe that you just wrote a show about robots. That's it's weird. <laughs> yeah. It's super weird that I did that. No one saw that coming. Um, but I am thrilled to be part of the DC Comics extended universe <laughs> because it's a bit of it's a passion of mine. Yeah. Um, no, you 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 got it right. This was something that I just did on my own. I wanted to take a shot at this book, and I felt very free because no one was expecting anything. It was not an assignment. Um, all that stuff came later. People were, as far as I know, were not checking for a Briar Patch script, and Sam and the other people involved were not familiar with the book or anything. They just saw the script. So because of that. I was able to get out of my own head and have a great writing experience. 
now that we're having conversations like this, now it's going to be an th- issue now that I have to. Yeah, I just spooked you. Potentially write nine more of them. But it was it was freeing to be able to say, you know, look, I think everyone who loves TV, uh, whether they cover it or just watch it, can articulate what they like yeah. and what they want to watch. And I was lucky enough to have an experience where I wrote something that I, I was excited about. Uh, how many episodes? Um, well, so to, to recap the, the bigger picture, we're just making the pilot. So we're just making one um, if they like it. So you won't commit to a second season then? I won't commit to a first season. I might be busy. Um, it depends. Jake yeah. and I have another podcast we're going to start together. It's, it's sort of, it's like Shark Tank. I think you mentioned it. It's about really sponsoring young creatives in the business community. Okay. So that might take up more of my time than I'm anticipating. But um, it, it ideally it would be a 10 episode first season. Okay. If we get to make nine more of them. And I know that you were thinking about, or at least you guys are in mm-hmm. talks to shoot the pilot in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Yeah. And that's why you were watching Better Call Saul? It's not the only reason, but uh, yes. But we, you were, because I think you were looking, you were you were saying to me that you were like, oh, guess what? I, I just banged through episode season three of Better Call well, Saul. Well, there was a couple things. And then I was like, allow me to read you the schedule of the NBA playoffs. Like, yes. Why that won't be happening for yeah, me. Yeah, so if we're segueing to yeah. that, 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 basically I did want to see what, remind myself what the possi- the rich possibilities mm-hmm. of New Mexico were like, because we may be spending a bunch of time there um, this fall. But, uh, yeah, I also, because it hit Netflix. Yeah. I, I felt, I, people, if, if, I, if I'm if i cut, do I not bleed? I, I, people were heated that we just glossed over the third season yeah. of a show that we had covered quite heavily, that figured into the, okay, the first season we yeah, covered we, heavily. Yeah. <laughs> we kind of touch and go the second season. But um, we just, both of us realized, I think we looked up five weeks into this third season when it was airing last year and realized we hadn't watched it and maybe we could just, just slip through. But, I, but, yeah, but it, but it we, we've, I think that was a show that we've hit issues with um, hourly shows that are released on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that sometimes you, if you just fall behind on two or three episodes, you're like, man, that's three or four hours I got to dedicate to this. But also we had had an issue, and this is relevant to the other conversation too. We'd ha- I think we'd kind of had an issue with the show because it was so um, granular. Mm-hmm. It took the same um, clinical approach to its subject matter that Breaking Bad did, but the subject matter was essentially legal doc review, not uh, drug dealing. Sure. Which is a little bit less, ex- little bit less exciting. I mean, your mileage may vary. Um, and also, it, it always felt a little odd that it was a prequel and we kind of knew the fate of some characters. It just felt somehow less essential for those reasons. What I wanted to tell you mm-hmm. was I really enjoyed watching the third season, particularly on Netflix. This is a show that I thought did better bingeable on demand. How come? Um, you can see the the forest more because hmm. God does this show paint the tree in loving detail. Sure. But there's a you you can sort of push forward and get a bigger sense of what they're doing. But also, so here's my take on the show. I really enjoyed the third season. This show is a craftsperson's dream. This show is like watching someone paint a Renoir on a grain of rice. It is a masterpiece in miniature. And purely from a technical and craft perspective, and the craft being television, and yes, maybe my head is in a different place slightly now when I'm trying to think about this, but the writing is jaw-dropping. The, the scene construction, the pacing, the performances by Ray Seahorn especially, but mm-hmm. Michael McKean is great this season. Um, uh, um, 
Giancarlo Esposito is back on the show. Spoiler. Well, I think people know. Damn. It's right in the... You go to Netflix. It's not going to watch now. You're done. You're looking for any reason to be out on it. Um, I still am of mixed opinion whether what this means in the scheme of things. You know, it is... um, Someone wrote me the other day that it is the best made show on TV and the least relevant in some ways. Sure. That all is true. And maybe... But maybe it's time to consider this like a a gift of this um, deluge age of television that we can have these you know, three seasons of intricately plotted television show about the broken relationship between two middle-aged brothers. So it's I was wild to me. Curious I, I, about something. Is, yeah. is there anything? Can you be specific about what you're when you're watching? Say Better Call Saul, but you could even apply it to Breaking Bad. You could apply it to Killing Eve. You could apply mm-hmm. it to anything. Trust. The little things you're noticing now when you're watching that you didn't notice, say three, four, or five years ago when you mm-hmm. weren't thinking in these terms about scene construction, character development, dialogue, that, that you're like, oh, now that the shoe is on the other foot, yeah, this is... Well, I, I, th- I think the biggest one is you, you see the, the crumb trail being laid. The, all the work that is done, uh, the consideration, the patience. Um, you know, there's often something that probably was just a spark, like a great idea. Like in, in the case of Better Call Saul, it's Chuck being, um, being a, having his issue with electricity. Mm-hmm. It's a great visual. It's a great idea. What are we going to do with it? And then having the foresight to realize the richness of what you have, how, and then taking the time, excruciating time, sometimes it felt like, to lay the crumbs towards where you're going, towards a rupture in this relationship, towards something unforgivable, towards when little, little things suddenly become something big. The other thing, and I, and I did mention this when covering Breaking Bad, that I'm always in awe of Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould and all of that crew that has remained fairly consistent yeah. between the two shows. Um, they make it look like they planned everything. And I know from their interviews, but also just from the way TV works, they didn't. Right. There are plenty of accidents or fixing things later in hindsight and connecting things that weren't necessarily meant to be connected. But the way they take advantage of that stuff makes it look effortless. And now that I know it is effortful, it's even more impressive and makes me more daunted because, God, it's like a masterclass. Plus, that show is directed like they direct the shit out of it. It has a very, like, you know, we were talking about tone, and I guess I, I did want to ask you a little bit more about Ross Thomas or just talk about it in general because I happened to pick up, to reread one of his, uh, like, a shorter books that's called If You Can't Be Good. That's a good one. But with Better Call Saul, I think sometimes what I, the issue that I have is there, the lack of um, a gear change that Breaking Bad did have mm-hmm. is because they had Jesse and then, Walt, and then in later seasons, um, Jane, and then in later seasons, obviously, Gus and Mike mm-hmm. and and Saul to some extent, that you had these um, a variety of experiences and a variety of emotional gears. Mm-hmm. And especially, I think that's why Jesse became such a huge part of that show is that for as much as Cranston was the epicenter of it, it needed that variety mm-hmm. of voice and that variety of tone. Um, and that I hadn't really been feeling that way about Breaking Bad or that the or Better gear, Call Saul. Sorry, about Better yeah. Call Saul and that the gear change in Better Call Saul largely was McKeon. And I was like, you know, yeah. like, I, it's, just, it's not, it's nothing, it's a perfect, like, piece of writing. It's just that it wasn't really, like, that entertaining. No, and and it's worth noting, it's so bizarre. It's two shows. The Mike show and the Saul slash Jimmy yeah. show rarely cross. Right. And the Mike show for a lot of this third season is really, it's not fan service, but it's laying the foundation for everything you saw. So I don't think it's a spoiler to say we meet Gus or to say that Gus is maybe scoping out a lab that might be 
super. Sure. Like the, all the, so that's sort of fun and exciting to see for super fans, but it is less dramatically thrilling. But there are these little pockets and moments, and there's an episode in the middle of the season that I'm a full year in recognizing, but it was one of the best hours of TV of 2017. It's called Chicanery. And it's the high point of the season. It's the fifth episode. And I think if people watch their way through that, you'll feel like it was time well spent. Good. Um, but Ross Thomas, people read Ross Thomas books. If there's nothing else comes to this experience other than the opportunity for Chris to drag me for six months over how much more we would both like to see Treadstone, <laughs> which is not inaccurate. It better not be zero sum. It better uh, not be you or no. Treadstone. Make me choose. I will I will bow out. <laughs> you the know me and Tim needs... Kring go back like look, fat crayons. <laughs> look, man, it is a born TV show. It, if it is just men, but character actors in suits in rooms yelling at each other, that's a show we want to watch. Sure. Um, if it's just the first 10 minutes of Born Legacy when Norton is jogging in the rain and Stacey <laughs> Keach calls him on his cell phone and then pours him a thick tumbler yeah. of whiskey basically, and basically says to clean it up, I love it. Um, if nothing else other than that comes of this experience, making more people read Ross Thomas is a good thing. I mean, this guy wrote 25 immaculate thrillers. Yes. Some are uh, Cold War type stories. Uh, there's one set in World War II. Most of them are about conspiracies or corruption. He or wrote both. a whole bunch of DC politics yeah. books. Um, Briar Patch, I had in the past told people to start there because it is such a clean noir. It was, um, it was, it's one of his books. It's the one that won the Edgar Award for Best Mystery in 1984. Mm -hmm. um, my favorite book has a title that did not age well. Uh, it's called Chinaman's Chance. Um, it introduces a character, a character, two characters that he wrote three books on: uh, Artie Wu and Quincy Durant. It's Malibu. It's 1979. Mm -hmm. There's folk singers who turn into bomb throwing radicals. They're dead pelicans on the beach. It is such a fun and entertaining and imaginative read. Um, side note for people who don't know this: the reason that book is called Chinaman's Chance, which was not a cool name in 1978 sure. either, is that Ross Thomas, who liked to um, drink his dinner, let's say, uh, was having a late night boozer with a bunch of people at, a, at a, a conference in the 70s, like a mystery writers conference, and an agent bet him, what are the two words that you could not put in a book title and still make them bestsellers? And they all chatted about it. And those words were uh, the aforementioned word Chinaman and um, uh, dwarf. And the book after Chinaman's Chance was, dwarf. The, was the yeah. eighth dwarf. I, uh, I particularly like a lot of his... Um, more lean. I mean, I, I really love The Fools in Town Are on Our Side, which is probably his most historically sprawling That's and his epic. epic. Uh, but I love The Money Harvest. I love If You Can't yeah. Be Good. I love um, Pork Choppers, the Union Mordita book. Mordita Man. Yeah, it's just all, all these that are just really kind of jabs to the chin are, I mean, you can't go wrong with almost any of his books. So I'm sure we'll be talking more about him in the future. And we'll obviously be talking a lot more about Briar Patch, or at least I will with my new co-host, Jason Manzukis. Yeah. I assume you've been building on the side. <laughs> did, did Katie Nolan say no? Uh, she... It just sounds like she's busy. You know, God, people have lives, yeah. you know, stuff happens. She's, she's up for the leading treadstone maybe. Wow. <laughs> yeah. In. Um, okay. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors and we'll come back and talk about Killing Eve. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by The Black Tux. The Black Tux is the easy way for guys to rent suits and tuxedos online. For more than a year now, Greenwald and I have been wearing The Black Tux to special events when we host Emmy after shows, Golden Globe stuff, weddings... 
bat mitzvahs, bar mitzvahs, whatever. All kinds of mitzvahs. Just place your order online and your suit will arrive 14 days before your event. Then wear it, turn heads, and send it back three days after your event. Shipping is free both ways. So whether you're going for a stylist selected outfit or building a custom look, the Black Tux has tons of suits and tuxedos to choose from. And they are always adding amazing new selections. Plus, with their new fit algorithm, you don't have to awkwardly measure yourself. The Black Tux does it for you. They'll even let you feel the fit and the quality of your suit mm. months before your event with a free home trial. Look as great as your date with the Black Tux. Get $20 off your first purchase by visiting theblacktux.com slash watch. That's theblacktux.com slash watch for $20 off your purchase. The Black Tux, premium rental suits and tuxedos delivered. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Thomas's English Muffins. Are you looking for a breakfast that's worth skipping the snooze button Turn for? Turn my mic on? back on. We got to talk Thomas's. Thomas is the only breakfast brand that delivers a one-of-a-kind eating experience with its original Nooks and Crannies English muffin. If it's not broke, don't fix it. Get the Nooks. And then you get the crannies. Are you a nook guy or a cranny guy? That's a great question. I don't feel comfortable answering that right now. There's nothing quite like nooks and crannies texture, perfectly toasted to give you irresistibly crispy edges with a soft, warm center. And you take it from a true fan like CR and Greenwald. The secret to revealing that perfect nooks and crannies goodness every time is to gently pull your Thomas's English muffin halves apart. Mm. You can use a fork to split them. Mm -hmm. Just don't use a knife. Never that. Next, you lightly toast each half and you top them right away with butter. And you watch how the butter melts and pools inside these amazing nooks and crannies. That's spaces. what the nooks are for. It's a delicious burst of flavor in every warm, toasty, buttery bite. If you haven't had them already, you have to toast and butter some Thomas's Nooks and Crannies English muffins. They're truly like no other. Who hasn't had one? Get out of here with that mess. All right, Andy, we are back uh, in non-treadstone business. Oh, let's just let people know what's going on in yeah. the next couple of shows. Thursday? It's book club. We didn't say. I know. All You're right. going to say? I was just about to say it. I got excited. <laughs> Thursday, I we are doing Le Last Good Kiss by James Crumley. Yes. And we're going to have a special guest with us. To talk about not it. Not James Crumley. No, unfortunately, he has passed on. Yes. Boy, would he have been a good guest, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, do you want me to say who the guest is? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's why I threw it to you. I don't know. I just thought you were having a moment. <laughs> a senior moment. <laughs> what do you think? I just like... I just saw the veil drop over, no. over your eyes. Yeah. No. <laughs> don't worry. I'll tweet through it. I'm good. Uh, our friend Elwood Reed who is a uh, TV creator, writer, showrunner, worked on The Bridge, uh, worked on The Shy, mm -hmm. and a big, big fan of crime fiction and James Crumley. And in fact, I believe met Big Jim in Montana. Is that his nickname? Yeah. Wow. Uh, so I think he'll have some stories for us on Thursday while we talk about The Last Good Kiss. Okay, and then next Monday, yep. we will be talking about the first episode of the second season of Westworld, which airs on Sunday night. Yeah, I, you know, I tried to avoid this, but this is coming. Yes. And then next Monday, we'll be talking about Westworld. It's uh, back. First episode of the second season. Get, you know, get, get your, get your anti-Andy. Uh. <laughs> I'm going to be open-minded, man. Sure. Well, look, if you're, if you're starting as low as I am. It can only go up. It could only That's go up. That's true. Uh, we'll also probably be talking about Barry. We might have some special guests joining us. I hope so very For Monday much. about Barry. Uh, and yeah, a bunch of other stuff coming up. We should make sure you guys are keeping up with uh, some of the shows that we're watching. So Handmaid's Tale is coming. On the 25th next week, we will be talking about and, that. And uh, Infinity War. Obviously, we'll be doing some stuff about that. Also, can't forget about the big homies in Italy on Trust. We are a little behind. 
because you were traveling. Mm-hmm. My wife was traveling. Yeah. One, I'm an episode behind. I'm an episode behind. That's okay. why we're not talking about it today. Yeah. But today we are going to talk about Killing Eve. Bottom line, are you in or are you out? In or out of what? So we previewed that a little bit last week, but two episodes have aired. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second one last night. I wanted to talk a little bit about this show in relation to another show that we used to talk about a lot, which was Mindhunter. Mm-hmm. And that was just because, you know, a lot of people had critiques of Mindhunter because it didn't afford a lot of time to a female perspective when it came to, they were largely victims. There was two major characters, two major uh, women characters in the show. But for the most part, it was a show about murder and the psychology behind killing told almost entirely from a male perspective. And I don't think I truly appreciated that critique until I saw Killing Eve and watched some of the same themes Mm -hmm. being discussed by female characters. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if you would notice that too. Yeah, I think it's a great observation. And I think that one of the dominant sensations of watching Killing Eve in the characters, and actually for me as in the audience watching it, it's like wildly suppressed laughter. It's like you try to hold a joke in and you can't, and it just explodes everywhere around you, whether it's appropriate or not. And I think that that is in many ways the main thesis of Phoebe Waller-Bridge's work. Mm -hmm. Um, We're not supposed to do this, but I can't help myself. And why am I not supposed yeah, to do this? Yeah, the idea of compulsion. What, but not just compulsion, but what has society said is okay for me to, to care about, Which was the major thing, in, yeah, about. that was a major idea in Mindhunter, is what is deviance and what do we name these things yes. and what happens after we name them? And a, you know, that Mindhunter is a period piece. And societally, we were not talking about some of these things or not considering them or taking them seriously. Um, and that was a lot of the work that is being done in Mindhunter. What is what does it mean to be deviant? What is it? What is that word? How do you define that word? What is behavior? What do we do? What do we want? How do we process it? F- Killing Eve is a very much 2018 show, and what it is primarily interested in is what are women allowed to do and be and care about. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is exhilarating, first and foremost, because I think Phoebe Waller-Bridge is the best writer working in TV, but also because we see these characters. Sandra O oh character and the Jodie Comer character exploding and pushing through these things constantly. Uh, the opening scene of the second episode, which is between Sandra O oh and, and Fiona Shaw, where Sandra basically can't contain herself and she can't find her words because she's avoiding the one thing that she wants to say, which is she's a huge fan. Yeah. She's just a fan of this woman, partly because she's projecting, partly because she wants to live a more vibrant life. Now, we are in a slightly askew world where vibrancy takes the form of pushing hairpins into the eyeballs of mafiosos. Yes. Your mileage on that may vary. And I will say the few people who have pushed back at me, my parents, who I know are not listening, (laughs) who I think liked the show in theory, but are troubled by the callousness of murder in it. When I was super exhausted uh, last night and had spent a weekend of childcare giving, murder was not on my mind. I just couldn't get my rhythms attuned to the show. I watched the rest of it this morning and I love it again. I was much more stable and ready to be like, okay, I understand this is a, a cracked mirror. And and what we're talking about isn't the death. What we're talking about is the sort of bubbly mania of self-expression. Yeah, you actually, the first scene in the, the show, the, the second episode is actually um, the Jodie Comer character killing Villanelle, killing somebody mm-hmm. in Bulgaria. Yes. And the guy, as he's being sort of chased through this you, you, office, you this, yes. is like, why are you doing this? 
And she says, I have no idea. Yeah. Now, obviously, that will be probably explained in a larger way. But what it's getting at is that weird point right in the that weird point where you can't quite articulate something where and that's what and that's what the Sandra O oh character talks about what's what Eve talks about mm-hmm. in the next scene is I'm just fascinated what would make a woman want to do this mm-hmm. and that's it's it's just a great companion piece I'm not a companion piece as if it's any like lesser than than Mindhunter but it's an incredible look at the a, a very similar content uh, idea in this from a completely different perspective. I love Mindhunter. It was one of my favorite shows of last year, and I don't want to big up one and potentially make it sound like I'm downgrading the other, but Mindhunter is an exceptional version of a bunch of stories that we have seen slightly before. Um, what's so thrilling about watching Killing Eve, and and there are other things that I've felt this way about in recent recent times as well, is if you just turn the camera slightly or give someone else the pen or the Final Draft app or whatever we're talking about, Look at the story you can have. Look at the different tones you can play with. It's exhilarating. Um, I, I, that's the word I keep coming back to. There's a moment in the second episode, um, definitely not a spoiler moment, um, but it could be boilerplate, where Fiona Shaw is showing Sandra Oh their new headquarters for her secret division that's investigating this international assassin. Um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge gets that we love this stuff. We read genre stuff because we want the secret headquarters. Yeah. We want the back street. We want to know who has the key that opens this door and what's behind it. So we're getting that. But right as the the lock is being tumbled and we're about to enter into the next phase of the show and of Sandro's character, Eve's life, Fiona Shaw looks down at the gutter and says, I saw a rat drink a can of Coke right there. Both paws. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so funny, and I just want to live in a world and watch, live in a world where I watch TV and there is room for those lines. Yeah, and that those kind observations. of, it's that kind of, it's not loose ends, but it's, it, it, it has like a certain uh, improvisatory feeling. And it's, yeah. the, and it's those sort of small dots of color that may seem unrelated that, um, if I can make a pointillism reference. Sure add up in the long term towards a richer viewing experience. What is it that you think is so special about Phoebe Waller-Bridge's writing? I think it's I think it's that. I think that she is um, excited by taking the wrong road. F- seeing the fork in the road, one is traditional storytelling, and instead she veers off. She chases the thing, the, the shiny object or the bird that's flying in the wrong direction in the forest of her brain, and chases after it with a kind of mischievous glee. Mm-hmm. Um that's the feeling that shoots through all of us. No one else could have written the show this way. Many, many, many people, any screenwriter in London or Hollywood could have been given the raw text of these novellas um, and said, I get it. It's a two-hander and it's about an assassin. None of them would have produced this. And her willingness to chase down these seemingly unrelated strands to, to make a show that, again, could be bog standard you know it could be assassin Mm -hmm. cat and mouse game and bend it to her interests and her passions naturally um to find a show that is about 21st century feminism but is also about killing people in bulgaria it's 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 exciting so on the in and out scale we're obviously all in way in this is my favorite show right now speaking of uh another take on a material that we we love uh oceans eight is coming out in just a little bit they really did this movie right wasn't there part of you that was like that seems like a good press release. Are they really making it? Yeah, it's, they made com- it. it's coming out June 8th. Uh, Gary Ross directed it, and it stars... The big homie Seabiscuit. Sandra Bullock, uh, Rihanna, Anne Hathaway. You say her name. Mindy Kaling. Kate Blanchett. I want to tell you something about Kate Blanchett. Yes. There was a minute there mm-hmm. 
And I was kind of like looking at my laptop, looking at, I'm on the dark web. I'm in my, I'm in my cryptocurrency interface. You're all about that blockchain. And I'm thinking about selling some of my Kate Blanchett stock. Not that she's not a great actress. Wow. But I felt like Kate Blanchett was trying too hard to be fun. Wow. Can I just proffer something here? Did you need to sell that stock to cover your grievous losses (laughs) in the Ron Eldard futures market? Because I didn't like, I never liked Eldard like that. There's oh. lots of dudes that I did like. Uh, there's plenty of people from the cast of Black Hawk Down that I would have invested heavily in, but it wasn't Ron Eldard. Oh no, my God. Here, I'm messing up. It wasn't Ron Eldard. It was another blandly handsome <laughs> blonde actor that you went all in on. Boyd Holbrook? No, I'm, I'm, I'm picking up on the Holbrook vibes. I'm not off on Holbrook. Okay. Um, what's, what's his name? Harvey Dent. Aaron Eckhart? Yeah. My Aaron Eckhart stock is just fine. Thanks very much. That's the one. <laughs> Aaron all, Eckhart had a killer year a couple years ago. A couple years ago? <laughs> no, because he time, had that Sully. Listen. And then he was the he did the hair loss thing, yeah. and he was Miles Teller's boxing you coach. You know why everyone knows that was a couple years ago? Because that was the last time you rolled up your Merrill Lynch portfolio. I'm doing a live on-air Google of what's up with Aaron Eckhart. One second. What's up with Aaron Eckhart? He's in the fucking Romanoffs, man. Not my, who, here's who's into Aaron Eckhart. Me, Christopher Nolan, Miles Teller, and Matthew Weiner. Listen, your boy Young Treadstone over here just straight up on a live microphone on a podcast <laughs> called him Ron Eldart. I look at Twitter. I have an IMDB Pro account. Yeah. I still called him Ron Eldard. We got off, we got off track here. I just... I wanted to say that I was worried that Kate Blanchett wasn't fun, okay? That or yeah. that she was that's a, a big, that's a big super worry. fun, yeah. but that the roles that she was choosing when they were not, you know, uh, Blue Valentine or something, when she was just like, yeah, let's loosen up. Let's have a little, let's like let her hair down. She wasn't allowed to be fun. Like she's not fun in Ragnarok. There's lots of things that are cool she's and fun about- super fun in Ragnarok. Not, she's trying way too hard. Wow. Yeah. Trying too hard to have fun. I think that that was a movie where she was like, you know who's going to get a kick out of this one? My kids. <laughs> That's a whole genre of performance. Yeah, I did that it for my kids. That is Johnny Depp from 2003 through present. Yeah. So, you know who I, you know who I think is like one of the great actors a- actors of all time? Yeah. Kate Blanchett. Okay, she... Okay. Carol... This is called a walk back. It's not a walk back. Uh-huh. It's just that I was did worried... Just, did you just say Carol? Yeah. <laughs> Carol, I'm all about that Carol. That was sad. But here's the that thing. happened. Yeah. She looks really fun in this movie. Okay. Yeah. Because... She looks like she's having a blast. Here's why... And not for her kids. Her kids wouldn't like this movie. Might be a little bit over their heads. Not sure. This, they look up how old her kids, her yeah, kids are. Definitely Google <laughs> the children of famous celebrities. That's a good thing to have in your darknet folder. Um... I didn't know how I felt about this movie. Big picture, I love I love heists. There just should be more heists in our life all the time. And the Oceans movies are great fun, so we should definitely do more of them. Here's the, here was the crucial thing that got me on board. When I found out not only was Kate Blanchett in it, that she's playing the Brad Pitt part. That's the most brilliant decision right. here. Right. Watching the trailer, there are a lot of I don't knows here, but there are a lot of I do knows. Among them, Anne Hathaway as the villain, this is a great call. This is a great call by Team Hathaway to get her back in the game. It's absolutely. It's a really smart play. Uh, supporting cast, obviously exciting. Rihanna, I mean, Rihanna's in this movie. Mindy Kaling is in this movie. But the crucial thing for me is Sandra Bullock, who doesn't love watching Sandy on the screen? It is so fun watching her and Kate Blanchett just hang out and plan stuff yeah. and be pals and not have to be uh, a, a Asgardian hell goddess. Sure. Or... 
you know, the tough talking Southern mother of a From game. the blind side? I'm just saying. Yeah. I, that's a movie I saw. I'm just saying. <laughs> you want to see it for your kids? I just want to say that like so much of being a A-list or award uh, awards circuit actress involves taking parts that are about your relationship to family or a, in the case of being in a bigger movie, to a Thunder God or Iron Man or whatever. They're just women talking, planning a heist. And it's kind of freeing and fun to watch in this trailer. I called that movie Blue Valentine. It was actually Blue Jasmine. Blue Valentine was Michelle Williams. Yeah. So is that your Ron Eldard moment of today? <laughs> your your right. senior moment? I wanted to make sure that it, I, 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 I feel like I needed to cop to that. I think that long-term fans of the podcast, dating back to the, the Grantland days, are taking a perverse pride in watching us just, just lose a little couple MPH off our fastballs. It's been, I, I just I flew back from the East Coast. Oh, this is excuse hour. No, it's not. Okay. It's just saying it's like okay. a, it's a really heady time for me. You had to fly on a plane just by yourself, maybe checking in on some moves, <laughs> reading some docs on the Kindle. That must have been very trying for you. Let me let me tell you, I have a lot of sympathy for people who fly long flights alone. Um, we're going to wrap it up there. We'll be back on Thursday for book club. We'll do a little bit of news at the top of the pod. Uh, until then, Greenwald. Great job, Bransky's. Great job, Treadstone. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Thomas's English Muffins. Here is a breakfast I always get out of bed for. Thomas's original Nooks and Crannies English Muffins. There's nothing quite like that irresistible Nooks and Crannies texture. Mm. Perfectly toasted, crispy edges with a soft, warm center. How the butter pulls inside all those Nooks and Crannies spaces is just amazing. It's just a delicious burst of flavor in every warm, toasty, buttery bite. Thomas's Nooks and Crannies English Muffins are truly like no other.